You know, I absolutely believe that spiritual warfare is very real and very present in the world that we live in. I, I think there's all kinds of things that are going on around us that sometimes that we're oblivious to and other times we're aware of, but we're not even perceiving it rightly. We're told as much by Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, very familiar passage. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then he goes on to tell us about this armor of God that we're to put on and wear and use as we live in this world. Well, I'm going to tell you that I believe that we have an enemy that we're to arm against who does not want us doing what we're doing right now this morning. I think this is true every single Sunday morning that we gather together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the first day of the week. I think he's against every single Sunday. And I wonder, and I've wondered all week, if he might be especially against this Sunday. That he might especially not want us to come here undistracted, to come here ready to hear, ready to learn, ready to worship, ready to plot, to apply. I, I think perhaps this Sunday in particular, he might really not approve of what we're doing. Why do I say that? This morning in Daniel chapter 7... Starting in verse 15, God is going to expose the devil, the enemy, as the blasphemous fraud that he really is. That's exactly what we see in Daniel 7, the latter part of this chapter. God reveals in this text the certain destruction that awaits the enemy. And those who buy into what he would say and do. And so I think that we've come here this morning. And, and we might have a little bit more effort against us to be distracted by what God's going to have to say. I, I want to share with you. I'll be transparent. This has been a very difficult week for me to prepare this sermon. There's all kinds of things flying at me from all kinds of directions that have prohibited good, clean distraction-free study. And, and even in the moments that I could study, it was hard work this week. And, and maybe it's by strife and toil that you've even come here this morning. And maybe it's going to be hard for you to listen, but I want you to get to the edge of your seat, and I want you to listen, and I want you to see what God has for us this morning, because it's a very stiff and important message for humankind. Let's pick up in Daniel 7, starting in verse 15. We looked at the first 14 verses last Sunday. I, I recommend you listen to that sermon last Sunday if you haven't, because you need some background there. You need to know what, uh, what God has said in these first 
14 verses of this vision that Daniel had, but we're going to pick up in 15, and here's what Daniel says. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. And so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. Quick review from last Sunday. Four beasts come up. The first one was a lion with eagle's wings, and this represented the Babylonian Empire. The second one rose up. It was a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs between its teeth. This is the Medo-Persian Empire. The third one was a leopard with four wings and four heads, and this represented the Greek Empire. And then there's this fourth beast that's more terrifying than the others with iron teeth and horns. And we said last Sunday that this represented the Roman Empire. So that's what this one who he approached tells him is what the meaning of these visions are. This is some angel that was present in Daniel's vision. Verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things. And that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. What a vision. What are we to do with all of these horns and beasts and mouths and eyes? Daniel gives us some some new material here. We're introduced for the first time to this group of people called the saints of the Most High. We need to know who these are. First of all, I want to start with the Most High. The Most High is a new title that's given for the Ancient of Days. So the Most High is God. This is a title that's used for God throughout Scripture 54 times. Equally balanced in Old and New Testament. In fact, Jesus Christ is called by a demonic demonic force in Mark, I think, chapter 5, the Son of the Most High. So this is God Almighty, the Creator God. He is the Most High. And yes, this is the Ancient of Days that we've heard about. The second term is this word, saints. Saints are are those who believe in the Most High who call Him Father, who call Him God, who acknowledge Him as the Creator and Sustainer of their life and all things that have ever been created. This term is used 81 times in the Bible, 20 in the Old Testament, 61 times in the New Testament. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Saints of the Most High. And in this vision, we see that the saints will receive and possess the kingdom forever, forever, And ever. So it's emphatic. It will be a long time. It's called eternity with no end. The saints will possess that 
forever. But this vision tells us that before the saints possess this kingdom for eternity, they will be extremely and extensively persecuted by the horn that rose up from amongst the ten. They are no match for this horn, and the saints must have the Ancient of Days to come to their rescue, or they are without hope. So that's the setting that we have. And now Daniel wishes to know more about this fourth kingdom. And so let's pick up in verse 23. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces. As we've said last week, and in in Daniel chapter 2, when we preached through that, and the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about, this fourth kingdom is an absolute representation of the Roman Empire that came right after the Greek Empire. This Roman Empire is the last kingdom that will rule the world until Christ comes again to overthrow. Christ will come. He's that one cut out of a mountain, not by human hands. He's going to strike the feet of that statue. And all those kingdoms will crumble to nothing. And he shall rise up and be a great mountain in the midst of the world forever. So this is the Roman Empire. And you may be scratching your head right now saying, but wait a minute. I thought the Roman Empire fell. Well, it it did, but it didn't. Yes, the Roman Empire is not in existence as it was in that day. But there is no earthly kingdom that came and overthrew the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire crumbled from within, we like to say. It divided and split into two factions. And and to this day, I want you to know that the Roman Empire still has mighty influence and it still prevails throughout the world, especially the Western culture. So there is a very pronounced influence and remnant of the Roman Empire that still prevails. Just think about this for a moment. We see evidence of this Roman Empire in our languages. The language of the Roman Empire was Latin. And all of our languages that are in the Western world are Latin-based. So the Roman language structure has permeated even ours to this day. Uh, The the governmental influence of the Roman Empire is readily apparent that the concept of a republic is a Roman concept of government. The legal systems that the Western world and some of the Eastern world follow are Roman in origin. The, The architecture, you can look around and see Roman architecture still being built to this day. Our military structures and our military strategies are very Roman in their nature. And even our infrastructure... Our cities, city planning and laying out roads and highways, it's very, very Roman. We could go on. We could look at art and literature. All of our art and literature is thoroughly Roman in many ways. How about our sports? <laughs> we, we put gladiators in Colosseum floors and watch them do battle, right? We even acknowledge the seasons. By the Roman calendar that was adopted during the Caesars. Our calendar today is a Roman calendar with Roman 
months and days. So the Roman Empire still has influence and it's still pervasive in the world. Yes, the Roman Empire has fallen in that Rome doesn't rule the world, but Rome has influenced the world and still does to this day. And it is from these Roman ruins that will arise ten kingdoms, ten horns or ten kings and kingdoms, and these leaders will rule the earth in the last days that we're waiting for them to come. Okay? So that's where we sit. And now we are introduced to some more specifics about these horns. And this is where we're really going to camp out this morning. Verse 24. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. And he shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. What are we to understand about this other horn that's different from the other ones? Well, first of all, we need to read this quite literally because the angel tells Daniel that he shall be different from the former ones. A personal pronoun is assigned to this horn. And remember, this horn has eyes and a mouth that speaks great things. And so this horn is representative of a person, it's a man, it's a world leader that will rise up in the end times. The Bible portrays a picture of this one, and if you look at the conglomeration of verses and references to this one, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see that he is more powerful than any other man that has risen on the earth. He is more intelligent than any other man who is on the earth. That's why this horn has the eyes of a man. That symbolizes intelligence. He is going to be more arrogant than any other man that's ever risen into the earth. He's going to be more influential. He's going to be more politically savvy. And get this. He's even going to be more likable. All of those things. And he's going to be more likable. And he's going to be more embraced by humanity than any other man before him, save the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He is known by four titles in the Bible. Here he is a horn, but in the New Testament, we see that the Apostle John writes often about this little horn that's different from all the others. John calls him the Antichrist. That's who we're talking about here, this final horn. This is the Antichrist. I want you to listen to some of John's writings about this. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, he writes this to us. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. In 22, he says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. In denying the Father and the Son, that is speaking great and arrogant and boastful things. 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. He references the Antichrist again in 2 John 7. We won't read that. Paul references this horn in 2 Thessalonians 2.3 and gives him two titles. One is the man of lawlessness. The other is the son of destruction. Which, by the way, is a title Jesus gives to Judas in John 17. Back to John in the book of Revelation 13.5. John calls this horn the beast. So we have the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, and the beast. These are biblical titles for this one that is different from all the others in Daniel chapter 7. We are talking about the Antichrist. And you just need to understand that the biblical account tells us That the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, the beast, is the final and ultimate consummation of evil. There will be none more evil than this one. This is what Daniel is dreaming. And so now I want us to look at what God exposes about this Antichrist. And so we are, in fact, in this moment, engaging in some spiritual warfare with the one who is against Christ and his people. So strap it on and let's look and see what this Antichrist will do. There's some specifics. There's three things that Daniel envisions here about this Antichrist and what he will do while he's uh, allowed to work amongst mankind. And we're in verse 25 now, and we're going to go real slow here through a few phrases. The first thing the Antichrist will be about is in verse 25, he shall speak words against the Most High. That is not a good place to be. And these words are not words that we should listen to and join in with and say amen to. He's going to speak words against the Most High. In verse 8, in verse 20 of Daniel 7, we see that this horn has eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Great things means arrogant, astonishing things. It doesn't mean good things. Great means astonishing things. What great things does he say? I'd like to know, because when I hear them, I don't want to buy into them. What great things is this Antichrist going to say? Well, he blasphemes God. He claims to be higher than God, the most high. Listen to Revelation 13, 5 through 6. I said Daniel, uh, uh, John names him as the beast in Revelation 13, 5. Well, listen to this. John writes, and the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Verse 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. 
That is, those who dwell in heaven. That's this horn with a mouth speaking great things. He's going to speak blasphemous things about the Most High God. This morning I want to put our ear towards the culture that we live in. And I'm not saying that what I'm about to share with you is the Antichrist specifically, but I want you to get an idea of the Antichrist speaking blasphemous things against the Most High. So I've got a short video, and this is the voice, I think, not the literal, but this is the voice of the Antichrist. Just listen to this for a moment and look for the blasphemous things. I am the ocean, I'm water, I'm most of this planet, I shaped it. Every stream, every cloud, and every raindrop, it all comes back to me. One way or another, every living thing here needs me. I'm the source. I'm what they crawled out of. Humans, they're no different. I don't owe them a thing. I give, they take. But I can always take back. That's just the way it's always been. It's not their planet anyway. Never was, never will be. But humans... They take more than their share. They poison me, then they expect me to feed them. Well, it doesn't work that way. If humans want to exist in nature with me and off of me, I suggest they listen close. I'm only going to say this once. If nature isn't kept healthy, humans won't survive. Simple as that. I mean, I could give a damn with or without humans. I'm the ocean. I covered this entire planet once. And I can always cover it again. That's all I have to say. That's utterly blasphemous of the Most High God. Did you hear the blasphemies? Our culture talks like this all the time. We're raising up a people that worships nature instead of the Most High God. And the Antichrist wants to put down God and raise up nature and ultimately raise up humans to be Most High Listen to these. I took an inventory of the blasphemous words. The voice says, I shaped the planet. I am the source. Do you hear the arrogance against the Most High God? He says, I am what humans crawled out of. It's blasphemous. God is the source. God made the planet. And on the sixth day, God made man in his own image. 
Nature does not get credit for what God did. It, it said, I give, they take, but I can always take back. No, you can't. God is over that. That's just the way it's always been. No, it has not. God spoke and the waters came into existence. It's not their planet anyway. Never was, never will be. Not true. God put man in the garden and He said to exercise dominion over the earth. The earth doesn't exercise dominion over man. If nature isn't kept healthy, humans won't survive. Not true. There's a sovereign God ruling and reigning. He spoke everything into existence. He holds all things together by the word of His power. But the Antichrist blasphemes that truth. I am the ocean. I covered this entire planet once. No, God covered this entire planet with water on the first day. There was the Spirit of God hovering over the depths. I can always cover it again. No, you can't. God flooded the world. He had water come from the sky and from the ground and crash upon humanity. He had an ark that represented Jesus Christ that delivered man through the judgment waters. God did that. The ocean didn't determine that He was going to cover the world again. That was God. And then God went so far as to say, I'll never do it again. It's blasphemous. That's just one little picture of the voice of the Antichrist that's already here in the world that we live in. Remember John said the Antichrist is coming and is already here. There are already many here. That's it. And you will see that over and over again on a myriad of issues in the culture that we live in. And we must have an ear to discern and expose the fraudulent blasphemies of the spirit of the Antichrist. I want to I refute. Debated whether I was going to do this or not. We must. Here's the refutation of that video that we just saw. Job 38, starting in verse 3. God says to Job, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors? When it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no further. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. That's what God says to that ocean. But the Antichrist will come and will speak great, horrific, blasphemous things against this God. 
the Most High. Let's look at the second thing that this Antichrist will do in verse 25. After he speaks words against the Most High, he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Boy, that's a tough passage to read, and it certainly, certainly is a tough passage to preach. This is why Daniel was so disturbed in his dream. He said, my spirit within me was anxious. Well, here's why. Because the the Antichrist will wear out all the saints of the Most High. Wear out is a term in Hebrew for the treatment of clothing. Okay? My best analogy, I want you to picture a flag put up on a flagpole, waving for six to nine months. What do you see six to nine months later? It's faded. It's tattered. Maybe half of it is shred off and flown away. And you can hardly recognize it anymore. That is a description of what this Antichrist will do to the saints of the Most High. It's tough, tough language. He will constantly harass God's people. There will be, the the tattering effect is there will be a loss of religious liberty. There will be economic punishments to those who follow the Most High. There will be divided families. There will be split churches. And there will be extreme martyrdom. There will be saints who will be martyred and killed and persecuted for their faith. Listen to Revelation 6, 9 through 11. John in his vision says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and the witnesses they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. The Antichrist will persecute the saints of the Most High. And there will be many that will be persecuted. If you look at the local, the, 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 the current statistics... Saw this about a month ago. The current statistics are we estimate 150,000 Christians are killed every year for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 150,000. That's eight or so Stephenvilles gone a year. And these are just the ones that are reported. I promise you that number is higher. And there's going to come a day when it's going to be more extreme. That's what Daniel's vision tells us. The saints are going to be worn out like clothing. Let's look at the third thing that this horn, this Antichrist will do. In verse 25, he shall think to change the times and the law. Nebuchadnezzar got this right. Over in, uh, I think it was chapter 2, yeah, it was chapter 2, verse 41. Nebuchadnezzar ascribes to God as being the one who changes the times and the seasons. Oh, he was so right. But you need to know that the Antichrist is going to strive really hard to assume that role in this world. It's going to be about changing the times 
and the seasons. This term times probably refers to religious observations, Christian, God-focused observations, holidays maybe, if you will. And the word laws probably refers to religious doctrinal truths, biblical Christianity, beliefs, and practices. Let's go back to the culture that we live in right quick, and I want to give you a little glimpse of this. March 4th, 2015, New York Times. Headline, New York City adds two Muslim holy days to public school calendar. This is not fiction. This is truth. This is what's coming. New York will become the nation's first major metropolis to close its public schools in observance of the two most sacred Muslim holy days, Mayor Bill de Blasio said on Wednesday. Several municipalities across the country, including in Massachusetts, Michigan, and New Jersey, have moved in recent years to include the holy days in their school systems. But New York City, with its 1.1 million school children, dwarfs the others in size and in symbolism. Size and symbolism. For Muslim activists who have spent years trying to raise their political profile, the mayor's announcement was taken as a significant victory and an indication that they had matured as a constituency with tangible influence on public policy. When these holidays, this is a spokesman for the Council of American Islamic Relations, the nation's largest Muslim civil rights and advocacy group, he says, when these holidays are recognized, it's a sign that Muslims have a role in the political and social fabric of America. He will attempt to change the times and the laws. The article goes on, but there has also been pushback. In November, education officials in Montgomery County, Maryland, reacted to a local campaign to recognize the Muslim holidays by deciding by deciding to eliminate all mention of religious holidays in their 2015-16 school calendar, including Jewish and Christian holidays, Easter and all that, gone. We're going to take them off. And instead, we're going to simply mark those days as days off. The spirit of the Antichrist is in the world that we live in. And dear people, I don't relish and joy in telling you this, but I must. Because God told us this would happen. One of the things I love about expository preaching, verse by verse, through books, is it takes guys like me to passages that I would rather not preach. I'd love to put my head back under the covers and keep on living life in my happy little abode. But God says, no, 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 dear children, I need you to understand the Antichrist is coming and many are already here. And he tells us this, and I preach this this morning because he tells us this, so as to enable us to recognize that voice. That's why I show you that video. That's why I read you these articles. You need to recognize the voice of the Antichrist. You cannot be taken in. There is spiritual warfare happening. 
And I dare say it's going on right this minute as I preach. In New York, a group of Muslims has spent nine years pressing for inclusion on the city's school calendar, which already recognizes several Jewish and Christian holidays. Muslims make up about 10% of the student body in the city's public schools. Mr. de Blasio, Mayor de Blasio, pledged as a candidate in 2013 that he would do this. And here's a politician who made good on his promise. He says, people who will criticize this decision, I think, should go back and look at the Constitution of the United States. We are a nation that was built to be a multi-faith, multicultural people. No. And we don't go back to the Constitution to discern what holidays we should observe. We go right here. So the times, they are a-changing. But I'm not declaring to you that this is the imminent end, although we do live in the last days. This could go on for another 500 years. It could be tomorrow. Jesus says it will happen like a thief coming in the night. But we need to be understanding that there will be attempts to do all kinds of things against the Most High. And as saints of the Most High, we will be caught in the crossfire. In Daniel 9, when we get there, verse 27, you're going to see that there's going to be a period of time, it's a three and a half year period, where the Antichrist will, will be effective in eliminating all sacrifices and worship. That's what this is talking about. There will be a time on earth where there will be no sacrifice, i.e. worship. We don't sacrifice animals anymore, but that is a word for worship that will cease for a time. You know, this idea of laws, he will seek to change the times and the law. This, this idea of changing the law, this, this is not new. This is not new. This originates with the one who sends the Antichrist, Satan himself. You remember this story in Genesis chapter 2. God's made man in his own image and he gave man one command. He said, you shall eat of all the things in the garden, all the trees and all the plants, but there is one that you cannot eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Law, consequences for breaking it. Eve encounters the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall need not eat of the tree in the garden. So he starts to question God's law, which is the first thing you do to change God's law. And he goes on to say in verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Change the law, supposedly. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil Blasphemous things against the Most High. Do you hear it in this serpent way back in the beginning in the garden? That serpent's been talking like that ever since. And he has sent antichrists into the world. And they speak like what we saw and what we've read. Be aware. Be watchful. 
Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Today, we, we see laws changing. Yes, these calendar issues are popping up, but laws are changing. We have laws now that have utterly obliterated the biblical definition of marriage. It's law on the federal books of the United States of America. It's law on the books of the United Kingdom and France and Italy and on and on and on. We have laws that have redefined life. So much so that we have to have baby bottles in our lobby raising money so that we can show a woman what life really is from the Bible. Those are due, by the way. Let's fill those and be done with it. But that is because the Antichrist is trying to change the laws as laws define even life. This is serious. This is serious. I'm going to tell you, I I, I think... It could happen in my lifetime as a pastor. The government could require churches to be licensed. And once you're licensed, they will approve or disapprove of how you conduct yourselves. And when you don't conduct yourself the way they have licensed you to conduct yourself, they will take your license away. And then if you operate without a license, you will be penalized. You will be persecuted. You will be worn out like a garment. That's very possible. In my ministry life. Next generation. Highly likely. And then we have this statement. Still in verse 25. Oh boy. I can't even do justice to this in the time that we have. But here's what it says. They the saints. Shall be given into his. The antichrist's hand. For a time. Times. And half. A time. Boy. Let's go short with this, but here's some questions we've got to ask. They will be given by whom? Who is the giver of the saints into the hands of the Antichrist for a time? It's God. It's God. Remember Revelation 6, 9? The, the saints said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. There's a sovereign God who's allowing this to happen. Why? For His glory. And for the building of His kingdom for all of eternity. And for the witness of these suffering saints in the face of the world, they see these suffering saints and they say, I want to be one of those. And the kingdom grows through persecution. And it gets bigger than it ever would if there was no persecution. That's the Bible in a nutshell is on persecution. In Revelation 13, 7, the beast was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Allowed by God. This does not happen outside of God's sovereign control. He's not surprised by this. He has prescribed this. He has ordained this. And then how long? I mean, these saints in Revelation 6, 10 say, How long, O sovereign one? David threw out all the Psalms. You'll read over and over again. How long, O Lord, will you allow this? 
Well, he gives us a, a definition. He says a time, times, and half a time. A time, if you study throughout all of this, and we look back into uh, uh, Daniel uh, 4, where Nebuchadnezzar for seven seasons, it's, I think that's seven years, so a, a time is a year. Times is plural, so that's two years. And then half a time is half a year. I think we're looking at a three and a half year period here. And I think you'll go to the, the book of Revelation and you'll see 1,260 days and you'll see 42 months. These are all half year, three and a half year increments of time. More on that perhaps tonight. Can't unpack all of that here today. But here's what we do need to understand. Our God is sovereign. Our God is on his throne, ruling and reigning with intention and purpose. And he says to us, there's a measured out time that I'm going to allow this to happen. So hold tight. It's going to be okay. This is not something that will last forever. So for those saints who are alive and enduring through this in that day, it might be us. It might be generations from now. They will need to hang on tightly and say, there's a time, a times and a half a time that I've got to endure. And then I have all of eternity waiting for me. We need to preach texts like this today. So that we get ready. So that our next generation gets ready. So that they'll have it so that they can prepare the generation after them. The saints must be ready for this. Because this will happen. Guaranteed. This is not a fairy tale. These are not fables. This is God graciously pulling the curtain back and giving us a little glimpse with some details faintly about the end times. So then we go to verse 26. We've got to land this now. We see the judgment of the Antichrist in verse 26. But the court shall sit in judgment and the Antichrist's dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. And His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. I just want to do this. Look at Daniel 7, starting in verse 13. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Right here. The people of the saints of the Most High are going to be given a kingdom. They're going to be given dominion forever and forever and ever. So I want you to see the connection. The Most High is another term for the Ancient of Days. But the Most High is also the one like a son of man. Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ in verse 13 and 14 is the one that's given dominion. And this is where, in verse 27, we see that the saints of the Most High are going to serve and obey the one that's given dominion, Jesus Christ. So we have here the two persons of the Godhead, Father and Son. Holy Spirit will be added later to the picture. So the Most High is one like a son of man, and we see here the true, authentic deity of Jesus Christ.
And so now Daniel ends in verse 28. And he he says, really, what I'm feeling. (laughs) Uh, This is not the feel-good sermon of the year, right? There, There are concerning things that have been presented here in the Scriptures. This doesn't send us out of here skipping down to the car to go to the restaurant to say, man, isn't it great? There is great concern on the horizon. Let's acknowledge this. I'll encourage you next Sunday, I promise, and I hope I have in previous Sundays, but today is a startling, sobering wake-up call about this truth of the Antichrist in the end times. And Daniel says it. He says, here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. And my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. I let it penetrate. I didn't throw it off. I didn't scoff at it. I didn't say, I don't want to know about it. No, I'm going to ingest this. Concerned that I am, anxious that I am, I'm going to take this. And I'm going to be ready. And I'm going to proclaim it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that even some people in Stephenville, Texas in 2015 can hear this and be warned Thusly, Daniel sees an all-out pursuit of human secularism in direct opposition to biblical Christianity. That video, human secularism. Nothing but. This, This article that we've read from the New York Times and a host of other things, the laws that are changing, human secularism is rushing our culture. And end times are, to some degree or another, I don't know at what pace, end times are being ushered in right before our very eyes. We must not be naive about the reality, about the strength, and about the durability for a short season of evil. We must not be surprised. We cannot be naive. We must be as wise as serpents while being innocent as doves. We must be aware that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of suffering on this side of eternity. Okay? It is. It's clear throughout all the Bible. There's no place for a prosperity gospel that if you believe in Jesus, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, and you'll have everything you ever wanted. No. Believing in Jesus Christ will make you a saint of the Most High, and it will make you vulnerable and susceptible to this Antichrist that's coming and that is already here. We must know that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, though they strive with all their might to do so. You remember that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against you, church. But it's going to seem like they might at times for some. And this will get worse. I've shown you videos, I've read you articles. Those are just the beginnings. It's going to get far more intense than that. And we must be prepared, and we must prepare the next generation. So how? How do we prepare for this? There's only one way. We must draw in close to Jesus Christ. He's the one that's coming. He's the one that will overthrow this ruler, this horn, this antichrist, this man of lawlessness. We will only be preserved to the degree that we are in tight relationship with Jesus Christ. So Christian, 
you need to audit your relationship with Jesus. And you need to say, where am I anemic? Where am I weak? Where am I thin? And you need to get after that. And you need to get closer and more intimate with this one like a son of man. Non-believer, if you're listening to this this morning, you need this one like a son of man. You do not want to be of the party of the Antichrist. Because he's going to be destroyed forever, forever, and ever. And those that are with him will be there destroyed with him. You have two choices. Christ or the Antichrist. There's only one that you must choose. And it is Christ. So consider these words. Pray for this time that's coming. And be prepared that you might stand steadfastly, ever pointing people to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we got this stiff warning this morning, I pray that we would, each and every one of us, look to the one who has endured more than we can ever fathom. Christ suffered, Christ was persecuted, he was martyred to a more extreme degree than any human being will ever be able to experience. And because of that, we are able to be forgiven and right with you and we are able to be called a saint of the Most High through belief. Oh, I pray that all that hear this would believe in your Son and you the Most High. Father, I pray that we'd lean on Jesus Christ, trusting Him to lead us through these certain times that are coming at some day in the future. Father, we see clearly now this morning why Jesus taught us to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is our prayer, Father. We continue with Jesus, Father. We say... Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We ask you that you would do that so that we can navigate through these trying times that are prophesied. And we say, Father, for yours is the glory and the kingdom and the power forever and ever. And we say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.